What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the I'm Tell it Like It T.I. Is podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields. Got a good show here for you on this Wednesday, April the 28th, the year 2021. Uh, absolutely talk about and be the uh, primary topic of discussion here at the top of the show regarding the NFL draft that it will take place in Cleveland tomorrow night. Touch on that here at the top. Get into a little bit of baseball. Got a... Uh, Something I want to get off my chest concerning uh, the controversial Madison Bumgarner no-hitter or not a no-hitter or no-hitter or no-hitter slash notable achievement that occurred in the second game of their uh, seven-inning doubleheader against the Braves on Sunday. And, of course, I'll give you my two thoughts, or excuse me, my two cents on the Dodgers who are in a little bit of a funk right now. Uh, here as we conclude the uh, first month of the 2021 MLB season, give you my thoughts on their weekend series that they uh, that uh, finished up a few days ago against the San Diego Padres. And by the way, programming note for all of you all out there, um, our pal Brendan, our uh, NFL analyst aficionado, me and him will do a special, I'm going to tell it like a TIS, NFL draft preview show with you. Um, that will be uploaded the uh, day, the morning of the day of the draft on Thursday morning. That episode will go out so you you have an early, not like 11, 10, 11 o'clock. That thing will be up, you know, Mike and Orange County, that episode will be up and loaded by the time uh, you might still be in bed at 6, 5, 6 a.m. local time by the time that episode uh, is uploaded. So you all have ample time to listen to it all day long leading up to the draft at 8 o'clock on Thursday, taking place right outside First Energy Stadium, home of the Cleveland Brownies uh, in the city of Cleveland, Ohio. So me and him will uh, break down everything from our needs as far as uh, Washington and the Bengals are concerned. Uh, you know, mock drafts, we might do that. Uh, go through who are who we think the top players in the draft are going to be quarterback and non-quarterback what teams uh, cannot screw up this draft this upcoming weekend, uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, um, which is which is the three days when the draft will take place. But uh, we'll go through all that for you for the 2021 NFL Draft Preview Show. Um, a little something similar to what I did with Urinating Tree back in early February, where me and him, where we dedicated an entire show to me and Urinating Tree and I think Brendan was on that show as well um, back in February. I haven't spoken to him on the program since, but we did something similar as far as previewing and uh, getting you all set and ready for Super Bowl 55 this past February. But speaking of the NFL and the NFL draft, let's get right to it, um, which will take place on Thursday. And here's my thoughts going into this draft. Um, first off, to you know, to get the Captain Obvious bit right out of the way, we, everyone in everyone in America and everyone and their mother knows that Trevor Lawrence is going to the Jacksonville Jaguars with the first pick. Um, everyone, everyone knows that. That's why Urban Meyer took the job and came out of retirement because he knew that uh, Trevor Lawrence was going because he knew that Trevor Lawrence was going to be his guy. I mean, you, you, I mean, you just know that. You know, if you pay attention to football over the past year or so, well, not even the past year, but if you've paid attention since uh, essentially the end of the Jaguars' regular season. Uh, in in the thick of the winter time a few months back, we all knew that. And when they came out that Urban Meyer was going to coach Jacksonville, 
Um, we all knew that Trevor Lawrence was going to go to uh, Jacksonville. And also, courtesy of Greg Wood, uh, Williams playing the cover zero defense, uh, blowing it for the you know blowing it for the Jets, um, or not blo- not blowing it for the uh, not blowing it for the Jets, blowing it for um, no yeah I got that right blowing it for the Jets to get that no 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 it wasn't what am I talking about um, when they beat the Rams um, back in uh, back I believe that was in November when they beat the Rams on the road with the Rams and our pal Sean McVay didn't. Uh, care to show up, which absolutely tanked the uh, which absolutely tanked uh, the Jets' chances of getting the number one pick in the 2021 NFL draft. But simply put, you know, you know Lawrence is going number one. Uh, the Jets with the second pick, you know, they could go, you know, they could go many a routes with the second pick. Um, you know, you've heard talks about them getting Zach Wilson, <clears throat> excuse me, a quarterback. You've heard talks about, um, you know, maybe Mac Jones out of Alabama, but you've heard a lot of Zach Wilson and New York Jets talk, um, you know, over the last whatever it might be. The quarterback out of Brigham Young University, who's the second highest tiered quarterback in the draft, which I, you know, which I don't necessarily buy. Nor, uh, nor you know, I I don't buy that you know because Chris Sims, who granted got Herbert right, and is typically pretty good at this draft evaluation stuff, but because you know he thinks Zach Wilson's all of a sudden going to be, you know, the next Jim McMahon. Everyone has him high on their draft. Me personally, I don't see it. You know, they, you know he wasn't he wasn't named the team he wasn't named the team captain. Uh, you know, on his team he wasn't named the team captain. On his team, I understand he was third in passing yards and third in touchdown passes. Had a seventy-five percent complete, seventy-three percent completion percentage, and you know threw for over three hundred, three hundred, three six hundred, threw for over over three thousand six hundred yards. I'll just say it that way. Um, but if you go ahead and you look, you look at his numbers. You know, I mean, we give him a cookie because he beat UCF 49-23. Uh, you look, go back to the Carol, Coastal Carolina game, which, you know, everyone, you know, has seen. Outside of my buddy Maurice, who, who is a Coastal Carolina student, no one is spending their Friday nights or their Saturday sitting around watching Coastal Carolina uh, football. And you got to be honest. I mean, outside of my man Maurice, who... Who you know? You know he lives. Who lives and dies by that? Who lives and dies by that university? Now that he goes there now and tell me that you know he wants to see if he can try to join the program heading into next season. God bless him with that and wish him nothing but the best. But outside, outside of really him and my uh, buddy Byron, who went, who used to go to school, who used to go to school there, you know, no one is ex- no one sitting around, you know, hours, days on end watching Coastal Carolina football, especially in the funky college football season we just had this past fall, where they lost twenty-two to seventeen. He threw 19 for 30. He threw 19 for 30. Um, uh, 240 passes. Uh, threw a touchdown and interception, which which is not exactly uh, which is not exactly championship football under any circumstances. And he only played and you know he played a lot of the garbage. You know Troy, uh, Louisiana Tech, Navy, Houston, UTSA, uh, Texas State. Uh, WKU, 
Boise State, uh, you know, a lot of the garbage, uh, San Diego State University, you know, UCF, a lot of unranked and, and, the, and the bottom tier of uh, the college football uh, of the college football programs in the country is are, are the teams that he, you know, beat up on. And the only two ranked opponents he had, he or he played against, was against uh, was against uh, Boise State. Okay, Grant, they were ranked 21 in the country by the, you know, at the time of uh, Friday, uh, November the 6th. But then in, in the best opponent that uh, BYU played all season against eight against 18 ranked, ranked, excuse me, Coastal Carolina, who ended up going, who ended up going, uh, I believe they went under, I could be wrong. Uh, I could be wrong. Let me double. Let me just double check. I believe they went undefeated. No, they had an undefeated regular season and lost to Liberty by three. By three in some dopey FBC mortgage cure ball the 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 day after uh, Christmas. But they had an undefeated regular. They had an undefeated regular season. Coastal Carolina did. And against an undefeated Coastal Carolina team, take it for what it's worth. Zach Wilson wet the bed. And I can't, and I can't go crazy with these pro days because running around, because running around doing drills in a shorts and a t-shirt in a climate-controlled environment indoors with no pat with no pass rush, it's it's not a game environment. It's a practice environment. Not even because you're not in pads, you're not in a helmet. You know, you have no, you're not wearing a jersey. You're not dealing with pass rush. You're not. Dealing with def- with the defense, you know, looking at looking at your eyes, looking at, and monitoring every move you make while you're sitting back in the pocket. You don't have to, you don't have to deal with sixty five thousand fans in the background cheering you. You got to block out. You don't have to worry about. You ain't got to worry about none. You you're simply in a short shorts and t shirt in a controlled environment indoors inside with no pass rush, not in the game environment, running around in circles, throwing the ball fifty yards downfield left and right. And because he can throw the ball a long way down down the down the middle of the field, everyone wants to make it seem like that he's essentially this hybrid between, you know, Mahomes and Russell Wilson. Give me a break. Mahomes and Russell Wilson have combined have been to four Super Bowls and have won two of them. And both of them, you know, if they win, if they in both of them, if they somehow combined managed to win combined managed to win two more between the two of them, two Russell Wilson and two uh, Mahomes, they're gonna go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks, not named Brady or Manning, in the tw- so far in the new millennium in the 21st century. And we're comparing Zach Wilson now to you know, calm, can we calm down, take it easy. He, you know, one dealing with a pass rush. You know, okay, let what? How is he going? How's he going to react? You know, you put him on the Jets. You know, and he's got and he's got that ferocious uh, and he's got that ferocious uh, Miami Dolphin defense. Chomping at the bit, you know, trying to get him off his game on a pass. You know, when uh, when Brian Flores decides to send the house on a, on the third and ten, and Wilson's got the ball at the Jets' nineteen yard line, how's he going to react then? Or or he, you know, he's playing. Um, I don't even know who the NFC East is playing this year, outside of their division. But you know, let you know they play. Uh, they play the Patriots. Perfect example. How's he going to re- use another in division example? How's he going to react? Uh, you know, third and twelve. You know, the J- the Jets need a touchdown. Uh, J- the Jets need a touchdown to tie the game up. 
you know, there's a decent amount of fans in the stands going up against Belichick, the greatest head coach in the history of the National Football League, and he's and he's got to somehow and he's got to somehow some way, you know, find his find his receiver at the sticks while Matthew Judon is breathing down his neck. And ain't one going up against Matthew Judon talent against uh, you know against uh, Louisiana Tech University. I can tell you that right now. So everyone, for the most part, a lot of people have him going second and have him being the be- the second best quarterback in the draft. I don't see it. My I don't see it myself. Considering that you know, and I'm not in love with Fields either. Not in love with Kyle Trask either. Ian Book at a Notre Dame. Uh huh. But. But you know what? What Zach? You know, you go from Lawrence, who's played in every bit, who's played in every big time college football game in his, you know, in his life. Played in every big time college football game, you know, bowl games, national championships, you name it. Plays in a weak conference, but still he's played in many a big games throughout his collegiate career. Then you drop down to Zach Wilson, you know, who has essentially been just this. Run of the mill guy waiting for his opportunity at BYU finally gets his chance and does a decent job considering considering you know the opponents he has to go up against. Zach Wilson, in my eyes, is 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 a it's a bunch of hype and is a bunch of uh, and 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 quite frankly, to not beat around the bush, he's overrated. Be quite honest with you. Everyone has Zach Wilson be out to be out this great tremendous future NFL talent. I personally don't see it at a BYU now. He's not. He's not Steve Young. He's not Jim McMahon. I mean, come on. And the Coastal Carolina again, the best opponent he had all season, late in the season, nineteen to thirty, two forty, a touchdown and interception. That's not second best quarterback. That that's not that's not the that's not astonishing numbers for a quarterback who's projected to be the second overall pick and who, and who I'm who and who I've been told by literally everyone in the uh, in the sports me in the sports media world is the quote unquote second best quarterback in the draft. I I I, I you know come on. Second second best quarterback in last year's draft was uh you know I mean you could flip a I mean you, you can flip a coin between Herbert or Bur- Burrow. They're both excellent, 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 solid starting quarterbacks that, if managed properly and coached properly, and 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 the organizations and the Chargers and the Bengals don't screw up, they're going to have very successful and fruitful NFL years. Hell, they may be, they may be, then they may they may very well be. If all goes well, they may very well be. Uh, you know. The uh, the Ben Roethlisberger and and um, you know uh, the Ben Ro- the Ben Roethlisberger and Peyton Manning to uh, you know to uh, pe- to the pe- to Patrick's to uh, the Chiefs Patrick Mahomes. But I, I I'm not I'm not high I'm not high on Wilson whatsoever. I just I'm sorry I'm just I'm I'm not. I'm not junior. I mean, ugh. I mean, this guy wasn't. A, this guy wasn't. A, wasn't a team captain on on his on his squad. I mean, this this is what this is what we're gonna do now. I mean, okay, okay, he can throw the foot. Okay, he can throw the football. Uh, he can throw the football uh, deep downfield. Okay, so what? I, I'm not sold on him, but it remains to be seen what the Jets do at number two. They could go Wilson. They could go. They could go. Mac Jones out of Alabama. 
I mean, they could go many a they could go many 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 a routes um as far as um as far as the second pick is concerned. Third pick with San Francisco is going to be interesting because you're hearing talks of out of uh, Kyle Shanahan, who all of a sudden you know thinks he, who all of a sudden thinks he's Bill Walsh. You know, Kyle must have forgotten that he that he is you know that he is the man responsible with blood on his hands for. Uh, well, I wouldn't say the second one. The second one is the second biggest choke job in the Super Bowl. Um, but he, but you know, the second Super Bowl he coached in as in as many as what, like five, six years he coached in two Super Bowls. The second one he coached, he had a ten point lead against the Chiefs, and you know, and and blood on his hands there because he's the head coach. You know, and, and you know, inst- inst- instead of uh, you know, instead of him moaning and groaning, I'll never forget this because I went nuts on it the day, you know, the uh, the show after that Super Bowl. Instead of him moaning and groaning and and belly aching and and uh, crying to Aaron Andrews on the sideline over that over that uh, Kittle offensive pass interference, which was that he didn't think so. He should have had his team better prepared. Instead of his team, essentially, when it got that interception off of Mahomes' late third quarter, early fourth quarter, uh, instead of them running to the other side of the field, you know, with the foot, with the intercepted football in their hands, you know, posing like they're going to be on the cover of Pitbull's next album drop, he should have had his defense and his team better prepared and make sure not to, and make sure not to essentially piss away a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter of a Super Bowl. Something that the 49ers in their history never, ever, 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 ever have done. In their history in the Super Bowl, not with Montana, not with Steve Young, and when they played in the Super Bowl, and then when they played in Super Bowl forty-seven against the Ravens, I don't think I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure the 49ers had to, had to play from behind the entire game. I think it might have, they might have had to leave maybe one time, and, and and it wasn't even that large of a lead. It was like it was like less than a touchdown if they had to lead at all in that game. Ten years old, not positive. This is off the top of my head. But I think, could be wrong, but I think in that Ravens Super Bowl, they never had the lead, not one time. And if they did, it, their lead was far, that I am certain of. If they did have a, have a lead in that game, it was far less than 10 points. It was, at the maximum, it might have been seven. If they had a lead at all during that game. Because they were getting their behinds kicked. I believe it was 28-3. to three. It might have been either 28 nothing or 28-3. to three. Uh, by the time Arthur Jones sacked Kaepernick, and then all of a sudden Goodell said, "Uh-oh, we got a blow Super Bowl on our hands." Someone tell tell which McCollum in the Superdome to put to pull the lights out, and then when the and then when the media comes and asks us, you know, what caused the power outage, we'll and we'll rely on people's conspiracy theories and have them blame Beyonce for the Super Bowl performance. But that's not here nor there. Kyle Shanahan, though, you're hearing rumors about Garoppolo possibly. You know, being traded and being out of there as they're looking for a quarterback uh, in this year's draft. They get the third. They got the third pick in this year's draft because you know, of course, with their awful twenty twenty season, because a lot of their players fell to injury and everything else. Um, if you go ahead and you look at what Jack about, if you go ahead and look at San Francisco's needs, you know, quarterback top of the list, corner top of the list, need a defensive lineman, offensive lineman as well. Um, so, you know, you never know. You Trey Lance available, Mac Jones, Wilson. So, I, I, you know, I don't think they'll go Trey Lance. I've heard a lot of Mac Jones talk 
which I, which me person, which me personally, as far as Mac Jones, you know, he he had phenomenal numbers. But when you're throwing to Jamar, not Jamar, when you're throwing to Devonta Smith, who, if all goes right with him and he falls into the perfect team's lap, and the and the team that ends up drafting him handles him properly, is going to go down as one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. Who is an absolute monster and is an absolute beast at the wide receiver position. And who's wide open nearly every snap and every play runs right. You go back and look, and then and then he, and he turns in his backfield and he's got to hand the ball off to um, Najee Harris, that beast out of the backfield. And all and all Alabama does is produce Pro Bowl wide receivers and Pro Bowl running backs. So and not to mention Nick Saban with the defense, and you never have to play from a deficit and they're destroying teams sixty-two to ten. You know, you you really don't know where Mac you don't don't really know where Mac Jones is for us. The intangible aspect is if you know when it comes to the matter of you know can he can he bring a team back when he's that when you know when he's down when he's down three when he's down by a touchdown when he's down ten points when he's down seventeen twenty one twenty four twenty eight points you know. Can can does he have what it takes to to spark that miracle thirty plus point point comeback? You know, is he is he a quarterback that's gonna know what he that's gonna know what to do? And remember, you know, in times of crunch time and late late in games, you know, San Francisco they got the third pick in the draft. They're looking to essentially restock and reload, not waste any more time as far as this quote unquote rebuild is concerned. And depending on what happens after this draft and once the offseason is all said and done, they're looking to be be right back in the mix as far as competing for Super Bowls uh, here, whether it's in 2021, 22, or 2023. They're not, you know, they just got finished rebuilding. They're not going to go right back to it. You know, Lynch, Shanahan, they're chomping at the bit to get back to that Super Bowl and win it, which they blew that 10-point lead to Kansas City. But they're looking to, they're, they got a high draft pick but they're looking to compete. And it's going to be interesting whether they hold on to Garoppolo, which I which I think me personally, Garoppolo is is a is a very is a very meh quarterback, you know. He you know he, he can't he's a he's a touch overrated considering he's a touch overrated considering he's got he's got the good looks and you know, he's you know, he goes out with porn stars, he feels the need to you know, you know he's twenty. He's a twenty-something-year-old kid shooting his shooting his shot at a you know at a woman that's near twice his age and and married and Aaron Andrews was getting interviewed after the games so, and he's got that cachet you know Jimmy the Jimmy G nickname and everything else and and Belichick drafted him and he were, and he played in you know in Brady's place during Brady's suspension a few years back when he was with the Patriots but. You know, if you go ahead, but it, you know, if you go ahead and you look, you know, he did not have, uh, he did not have um, an impressive. Uh, play. He didn't. He wasn't that impressive. when You go back in the playoffs, and people and people tend to forget that. You know, they say, well, you know, Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo, well, the Forty Nineers they made the Super Bowl a few years back. We gotta go. We gotta go back and look. Okay, in twenty, if you go back and look in his playoff games against. Um, Go back and look at his playoff games with San Francisco. You know he he threw he only had he had to throw the ball more than twenty times one game, and that was the Super Bowl. And in that Super Bowl, he was twenty of thirty one, sixty four completion percentage, which isn't terrible, but two nineteen passing yards and an intercept and two interceptions thrown in a touchdown pass. 
And uh, did he fumble in the game? I don't think he did. But you know that is not championship. Fo- that is not championship football under any circumstances. He threw the ball eight times, eight times in a championship game against Green Bay. Six for eight, seventy-seven yards. Because you know, because you know, when you hand the ball to Raheem Mostert over twenty, you know, twenty-five times and allow the defense to go out there and hunt, you barely have to. Li- you, know, you essentially control the clock and. Put uh, Aaron Rodgers on his behind every single time he drops back to pass. Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't have to lift a finger, and that was pretty much. And that's essentially you go back and you watch the games. You go back and look at the stat sheets. That's how San Francisco got to that Super Bowl because they knew how to they knew how to control the clock with running the football with Raheem Mostert, let the deep and, and you know and little dump passes off the Kittle every now and then, and then on the defensive side of football, let Nick Bosa and company go out and hunt and 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 rush the quarterback and it's essentially just dominate you and overpower you playing that quote-unquote old-school style of football. Pound the rock with, by running the football and let the defense go out there and hunt, which is which essentially was was the was the uh, was the bread and but was the uh, bread was the bread and butter of the GM John Lynch's you know team when they won in two thousand two um, the Buccaneers' first uh, championship when Gruden was the head coach. So you know. Garoppolo did not have to work to get to the Super Bowl. He did not have to work that. He did not have to work that hard to beat Minnesota in a divisional game. It was better. He essentially could. He essentially could have skipped the game if he wanted to. Wouldn't have made any difference because that game was all on the defense and all on Raheem Mostert, who I believe ran for over two hundred yards that night against Green Bay. And then when plays had to be made. Courtesy of Jimmy Garoppolo's right arm, he couldn't do him. He had, I believe, I believe he, if my memory serves me correctly, I don't. He had, um, I believe he had Emmanuel Sanders wide open. He is, he was ten, he was about ten, fifteen yards behind the guy, and and he throw and he's got a deep bomb to Emmanuel Sanders down the middle of the field where if he doesn't overthrow Emmanuel and the ball goes right in his arms. The the Chiefs got to come back from a seventeen point deficit, you know, middle of, middle of the fourth quarter, which is you know down three scores, middle of the fourth quarter, you're treading with dangerous waters there, and the chance of, of the Kansas City comeback go from about you know a forty percent chance to like a twenty twenty five percent chance. But you know he he throws that ball on target to Sanders down the middle of the field. Sanders catches it and walks into the end zone, and the Super Bowl. Most likely than not is San Francisco's. So the one play he needed to make in that Super Bowl, he didn't make it, and he turned over the football twice. So who knows what San Francisco's going to do in the you know when it comes to the third pick? You th- you'll think that they did, and Shanahan with the vibes, uh, you know, thinking that he might that uh, Shanahan he might go with the quarterback at three, whether it's Mac Jones or. Um, or Lance, or Lance, or even if it's Wilson, if the Jets somehow pass on him, it remains to be seen. Who knows? Neither of us know. And one people that know is Shanahan and John Lynch, the GM. But San Francisco's in a market for a QB, um, and it looks like most likely more than not they will take one with the third pick on Thursday night. The fourth pick, you, the fourth pick, is what lies with the Atlanta Falcons. Lies with the Atlanta Falcons. You know who need uh you know who need who need defense. You know their defense their defense is one of 
or excuse me, was one of the worst in the National Football League over this past the season or so. You know, choking leads left to right. You know, I don't have to name them for you. You know, letting Chicago come back at home, let screwing up. You know, late late in the game with their defense, allowing uh, Matthew Stafford to throw a last second touchdown pass in that same season at home once again uh, in Atlanta. And when the Lions picked off, when the Lions picked off the Falcons uh, middle late in the year, and of course, who can forget the week two, week three game, whatever it was. Where uh, where the Atlanta Falcons defense absolutely vomited all over themselves and allowed Dak Prescott to look like uh, Troy Aikman and and spark that and spark that heroic uh, Dallas Cowboy comeback when they knocked off the Falcons in the beginning of the 2020 season. So they need defensive help, linemen, corners, offensive linemen too, safety, and then of course you're going to need a QB somewhere down the road in the future because Matt Ryan is going to stick around forever and you're not winning anything with Matt Ryan. His ceiling was 2016. When you got to that Super Bowl, he's not going to be anywhere uh, close to that level. Uh, He hasn't been before or since. So, you know, it would be interesting to see. It all depends, you know, you're hearing that maybe the first four picks in the draft could all be quarterbacks where Mac Jones, where Mac Jones, Lance, Fields, and Lawrence can all be off the board by that time. Be interesting to see if if Atlanta, you know, die puts their feet in the deep end of the pool and realize, hey, we can't new coaching staff hold nine yards and realize, hey, we're not gonna win anything in twenty twenty and beyond with Matt Ryan, you know, we we can be we can be competitive, we can be watchable with them. But we're not going to accomplish anything in the big picture, trying to put all our, you know, putting our all of our chips in the middle of the table and see if we can pull a rabbit out of the hat and make the playoffs with uh, with Matt Ryan again. It's best that we, you know, try that we draft a quarterback, maybe one that may be a, a project that's going to need a couple of years in order for him to be quote unquote NFL ready. See if Ryan's going to take that quarterback under, you know, take that uh, draft that uh, fourth that fourth overall pick under his wing, show him the ways, show him show him and prove him what it takes to be a starting quarterback in this league. And essentially, you know, go and essentially go from there. I could see them go. I could see them, you know, uh, thinking that they had that they, maybe they can have one opportunity and one more shot with uh, as far as competing is concerned. And they might draft a wide receiver. You know, they came out there and said earlier this week that, um, you know, that 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 they could use Julio Jones's draft capital. Who knows? As far as the Atlanta Falcons are concerned, they can go many a ways. You know, it, I you wouldn't scream and yell, and nor should you scream and yell if they decide to get a quarterback because because if they draft a quarterback, it sends the message that Atlanta realizes that the writing is on the wall and that their time with Matt Ryan is is uh, just is you know just around the corner of uh, being uh, up for good. So, you know, and then, of course, it doesn't hurt to address the defense, which has been their Achilles heel for the last, you know, few years. Dan Quinn, a defensive coordinator from the Seahawks, comes to Atlanta, has a solid defense for a couple of years, and then they spit the bit, you know, during the latter stretches or the latter of uh, Dan Quinn's stretch as uh, as the uh, now the former head coach for the Atlanta Falcons. Um, And then you look at the Bengals at five. You know, and and I've said this before, and I I said it last week or not last week, but on Saturday, and I'll say it again. You know, 
I, you know, Bengals fans are split, especially the ones that I see on Twitter. They're split between going Jamar Chase and LSU or Sewell to tackle out of Oregon. You know, they, they're, they're pretty much split down the middle. And I essentially, I look at it from a standpoint as, look, and I, and I again, I've said this ad infinitum. You know, I've, I'll keep on saying it till after the draft is over or until I'm blue in the face, whichever one comes first. Um, but you know, Burrow is your Burrow is your um your biggest asset. He is your he is your future. He is your you know, he you know he he is your franchise, so to speak. He is your franchise quarterback, he is your draft pick, number one overall from last year's draft. You got to and you should protect it. And invest in and invest in that asset and protect it with as with as best you can with as many and as much as of, of the amount of resources that is put in front of you. He's got that you know that he had he didn't he guys he didn't even complete his full he didn't have a full rookie season yet. Think about that. November mid November season over because his ACL got busted up. And I, and if you're a Cincinnati Bengals organization who came out with the new uniforms and is and and and, and who and whose future at least the perception of their future looks promising and looks to be out on the come up and I hear all this talk about the Bengals trying to you know eventually try to hit their stride and and within the next few years next few years or so th- three five years or so start to be in the talk of com- of uh, competing for a Super Bowl. You get you can't get to a Super Bowl when Bro has to get up every single time he drops back the pass. You can't compete for a Super Bowl when Jer- when Joe is on IR with busted up with a busted knee with busted up legs and, and a bad knee and everything else and can barely play because he's getting beat up behind center so much. You you can't compete for a Super Bowl when you're in a position like the Colts are in. Now they're trying as best they can because they made the playoffs with Philip Rivers the. You know, they were bad. They were bad the year Luck retired, and then they were good and made the playoffs when they signed Phillip Rivers, and they might be pretty decent with Carson Wentz at quarterback for the next few years. But, you know, but uh, but the my point is that you can't compete for a Super Bowl when you essentially run your 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 franchise, quote-unquote, the Colts' Andrew Luck and with the Bengals, you know, Joe Burrow. You can't compete for anything when you run your primary source of hope and your catalyst, and what's supposed to be your catalyst to that success, you run them out of town, or you run them out of the game entirely, because you can't protect them with because you give them, you know, a bunch of turnstiles, and you call it an off, and you call it an offensive line. So, and I understand Burrow loves Chase, and the connection between him and Chase at LSU was impeccable. And, and you know you want and everyone wants to you know, the shiny new toy with the dynamic and the explosive wide receiver with the route running and he's quick he's catches the ball he's this that and the other scores touchdowns and he's more and and and, he, and he's more and it's more eye candy and it's more um, and it's more nice to talk about and highlights to look at than an offensive than an offensive lineman you know unless you're one of those diehard NF, you know, unless you're one of those NFL analysts you know who who breaks down offensive lineman tape with the coaches film on the NFL game pass. But I get all that. 
but you got to protect your investment and you got to protect Burrow. He's your franchise. You got to protect him and you got to invest in your future. And if Joe Burrow, like the Bengals claim to be as, as a part and a key part of the Bengals' future, you got to protect it and you got to and you got to invest in him. You know, there will be plenty of wide receivers, plenty of wide receivers who will, you know, who you can get via free agency and, and in future drafts down the line. But and 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 I and I say this not trying to and I and I say this not, you know, and it might sound weird me saying it, but you know, the Bengals, you wouldn't think with even with Burrow just behind center, the Bengals aren't going to finish worse than you know than four or five wins, which depending on how certain franchises are, you aren't necessarily going to get a top five pick in the draft. So, you want to essentially strike while you have the opportunity. You know, going back to back years or or three straight years or whatever it might be with a top five pick in the draft with a very ultra high draft pick. You don't want to screw that away getting a wide receiver, which me, personally, I don't like taking wide receivers in the first round. Having said that, A.J. Green was taken high in the first round in 2011. He turned out to be a a Pro Bowl, All-Pro wide receiver who, if he would have stayed healthy, would have probably went on to be one of the greatest wide receivers of, of, of all time if he... Would have managed if he would have managed to uh, stay healthy, you know. So I get that, and 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 shame on me because I had forgotten about how the Bengals they needed a quarterback. You know, the post Colson Palmer era. They needed a quarterback in 2011. They draft AJ Green with their high draft pick in 2010, and Andy Dalton. You know, who gets him to the albeit you know didn't win a playoff game, but was a competent and competitive. A decent NFL starting quarterback who could play in this league and got and guide the Bengals to a few division titles and guide the Bengals to a few playoff appearances. He fell in their lap out of TCU uh, in the second round. So I get, so I get that, I get that. You know, and they, who knows? It could be some gem, some gem offensive lineman that no one pays attention to that the Bengals have their eye on. And you know, and they and, and and that guy falls in their lap, and he all of a sudden becomes the next Anthony Munoz. I get that, um, but I I'm just a little hesitant, especially with Burrow coming off of that ACL injury. I'm just very, 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 very hesitant to take anyone that isn't Panay Sewell a tackle out of Oregon. Very hesitant. And they look, and they you know it came out that they're not going to. Uh, they didn't exercise the option on a Billy Pro on a Billy Price. So who knows the situation with that? I I look at it from this perspective. If I was building an NFL team, get my quarterback, build my offensive line, and move on from there. You got your quarterback, you got your offensive line, the wide receivers, the tight ends, and the running back talent will eventually come. And then on the same side, you got to address the fact that you know that you got to get some pass rushers. The Bengals are not you know top five. I saw this earlier this afternoon. The Bengals are one of the worst teams as far as uh, rushing the quarterback uh, within the last few years in the NFL. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, the top five worst teams 
uh, and the top five worst teams in the last three years on average at pressuring the quarterback. Green Bay Packers, number five. Bengals, number four. Chargers, number three. Raiders, number two. Lions, number one. So you also got to affect that as well. Get yourself some linebackers. Secondary seems, you know, they got Hendrickson. They signed in free agency. It will be pretty good. You know, they got uh, Jesse. They got Jesse Bates and... Um, my man, um, what's his name? Uh, Von Bell. So the secondary's pretty decent. They got a decent pass rusher from the Saints and Hendrickson, but they want to build up their defensive pass rush and get themselves a few linebackers. Uh, get get themselves some linebackers as well, not just be so offense-oriented because you got to also have a defense, which is something that the Bengals had when they made it to the playoffs on a consistent basis. They had a, you know, a top 15 defense every year that they uh, competed in the playoffs. So they need an offensive line. They need, like I mentioned with Seawell, and to protect Burrow coming off of that season-ending injury. Um, and they got that Reef guy, the uh, which we call him out of, uh, you know, from the Vikings and free agency as well. They need to protect Burrow. They need to get after the opposing uh, team's quarterback with defensive linemen, and uh, and honestly, get your offensive linemen and get your defensive linemen. You know, Mixon if he stays healthy. You know, they got to find someone to to replace Gio Bernard. I get that, but Mixon. Top, top, one of the best running backs in all of football when he stays healthy. You're in good shape with that. You know, again, it's not like you're trying to compete for a Super Bowl as far as 2021 is concerned. And your wide receiving quarters is pretty decent with T. Higgins and Tyler, with, and Tyler Boyd, those two. And you, you throw on a third receiver, you know, and you, and you, and you, and you can do what you, what you have. And, but, and you also need a tight end, too, because you haven't had a solid tight end since Eifert has left. But, you know, when it comes to my Bengals, they, they you know, be smart about it. Don't be over-emotional. Don't fall for the smoke and mirrors. Don't fall for the BS. And don't necessarily be dictated about what the media tells you to do and what the media wants you to do. But, you know, do, what, do what's best for, for the franchise and do what's best for quarterback Joe Burrow. That's where the Bengals stand as far as uh, pick number five. Um, just to round out the top ten, Dolphins pick at num- Dolphins pick at number six. They got that trade from uh, they got that trade from Philadelphia. They got that uh, they got that pick from Philadelphia. Um, the Dolphins they go many ways. They're sticking with Tua for the foreseeable future, for the, so they're not going to get a quarterback there. Um, they need they need wide receiver help for they need wide receiver help for Tua. So uh, they need wide receiving help for two of so Devontae Smith and or Jamar Chase, you know, ends up falling to number six. They should scoop him up right then and there, get to a couple of weapons, um, uh, you know, offensive linemen as to protect two of not hurt either. And they also need uh, and they also need, uh, you know, to be able to run the football a little bit as well with Miami. Miami, of course, went six and ten. Uh, went six and ten, not six and ten. Went ten and six, I believe, uh, this past season. Failed to make the playoffs. Had a winning season. Looking to make Buffalo sweat and and you know trying to be in a dogfight as far as winning the AFC East is concerned. If not, get one of those three wild card spots. Miami at number six would be pretty intriguing as well. Um, the Lions go many different directions. They're not going to get a quarterback because they just traded because they just traded for golf. They need wide receiving help to give to give golf a target. 
Um, and they also need defensive help as well, linebacker, safety corner, uh, getting offensive linemen, not just to protect golf, but for the future wouldn't hurt as well. Um, and of course, uh, and of course, with Carolina, they traded Bridgewater. They traded Bridgewater earlier today. Um, so, and they traded Bridgewater earlier today. So they have Donald, their quarterback, looks like it's going to be their guy. Offensive lineman to protect Donald, wide receivers for Donald to throw to, and of course, the tight end to fill the shoes of Greg Olson, who left them a few years back. Denver, you know, they're in the market for a quarterback too. Drew Locke is on, under no circumstances in the answer. Be interesting to see, you know, if they get if they get Fields, if Fields falls that low, to, if Fields falls low to number nine, could they reach? I think reach and draft Lance, which I which who I think is not a big time quarterback under any circumstances out of North Dakota State offense alignment to protect that future said quarterback. And then, of course, uh, and of course, that defensive lineman is also another need for them as well as far as the Denver Broncos are concerned. Number 10 with the Dallas Cowboys, of course. They got Dak signed, so no quarterback. Running back, if Zeke ever bothers to show up to work and actually produce, they're fine there. Wide receiver, they're fine too. Their needs, their needs outside of the offensive line, which is which is getting old and you know retiring and decomposing before our very eyes. Outside of the offensive line, the Dallas Cowboys need immense help. Immense help on the defensive side of the football. Corners, safeties, pass rushers on the defensive line, linebackers. Sean Lee retired earlier this week. They are going to need to build up their defense, which was one of the worst defenses in the National Football League in the 2020 season. Offense, they're pretty solid. You know, they got they got a d- good receiving core. They got Dak locked up. Dak locked up. If if Zeke again ever wants to show up to work and become and, and turn back into the, his old form that got him his make a contract in the first few years of his career instead of eating himself out of house and home and fumbling the football left and right and you know for twelve carries for forty three yards on the ground averaging two and a half yards carry they should be pretty good on offense outside of their offensive line which they need to rebuild again because get you know because gotten because they're getting old and they're and those linemen aren't gonna hold up that much longer. You know, because they've had the they've had that uh, core, they've had the majority of their core of their offensive line together for a long time. But that's where the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, that's where the Dallas Cowboys stand at number ten from eleven on out. We can go through with Brendan. Uh, did not anticipate uh, for the uh, preview show. Did not a preview show. Excuse me. Did not anticipate this to be a long monologue. It'd be interesting also to see where Kyle Pitts goes, the amazing tight end out of Florida. He also is going to be a complete stud. It'd be interesting to see where he goes in the fir- where he goes in the first round. Cincinnati, they you know they they could go if they didn't want to get. Um, if they didn't want to get Sewell, which, which I'm not a fan of, be interesting to see if they get Pitts, which if they did, you wouldn't scream at because they also need, because the Bengals need a tight end. I, in my eyes, more than they need another wide receiver. They, you know, uh, Boyd and Higgins, those two will be fine. You know, if if you can run the ball with Mixon when healthy, you got two solid t- two solid wide receivers, good, good quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner, national champion. And which you, if you need anything weapon wise, you need a tight end because the Bengals haven't. You know, you get you gotta find somehow, some way, find a way to replace Tyler Boyd because because every solid competitive football team has got that you know has that tight end. 
Kelsey with the Ch- Kelsey with the Chiefs, um, Gronk with Brady wherever he goes, whether it's Tampa or or the Patriots, uh, former uh, Hunter Henry with um, Hunter Henry with um, uh, with um, what's his face Herbert in uh, in Los Herbert in Los Angeles. Um, you can go um, Gasecki with uh, with Tua in Miami. You know, every good quarterback ha- has that safety net of a tight end. You know, if they can depend on that when the pocket breaks in and, and their receivers aren't open downfield, they can dump it off to their tight end, you know, on, on a quick little curl route who can catch the ball and make a lim- and take lemons and make it into lemonade and get a 10, 15-yard gain, you know, out of a little simple curl route. He runs, you know, five yards past the line of scrimmage. So it'll be interesting to see where Pitts goes as well. He he and Devonta Smith, in my eyes, are the two best non-quarterback talents coming out of the draft. Smith with Alabama and Kyle Pitts, the tight end out of Florida. Both of those two, they keep their head on straight. They go to the right team, and everything goes right for them as far as the NFL career is concerned. They could they have the potential to be all-time greats. Pro Bowls, All Pros, compete in the playoffs. You know, every, every year or so. Get lucky, compete in a few Super Bowls, maybe even win one. Those those guys are going to be good for a long time if all goes well for Smith and Pitts. And also Najee Harris, too, the running back out of Alabama. He's going to be pretty good, too. Long monologue. Didn't anticipate it to be that long, but it's a short show today as far as the amount of segments are concerned. Uh, take a break, discuss the Dodgers, and then Mad Bum, and that'll be it. Talk, talk about some uh, Dodgers baseball coming up. This is the Amatella Cotillas podcast. Don't go anywhere. Back after this. Welcome back to the I'm Telling Tellies podcast. Real quick on um, Fields, um, I because I don't think I got to him in the opening monologue, but in case I didn't, um, I like him. Um, I think I think Fields is the second bet. I don't think I made it when I made my Zach Wilson point, but I think Fields is going to be the. I think Fields is the second best quarterback in the draft. Um, I think it gets a bad rap because he, you know, because he goes to his uh, draft stock gets gets hurt because of the fact that he went to they went to Ohio State, which historically has not been a great uh, has not been a great um, 
college essentially for uh, you know for future NFL quarterbacks. So I think he gets a bit, you know gets a bad rap there. I think him. I think and call me crazy and say I'm reaching, um, but I think his race has a, has something to do with it as well. Uh, you know, the fact that you're black quarterback, you still got to, you know, I think, I think that not, not a whole lot, but I think that, I think that, you know, if you get these guys in a pri- in a room privately, no f- cameras, no nothing, no recorders, no nothing, I'm pretty sure race has a little bit of something to do with it. Not a whole lot, but just a little bit. That's just my, that's just my, that's just me talking. Um, but you know, I, 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 I really like him heading into, heading into the draft. His numbers doesn't blow you away. He, you know, he does his numbers doesn't blow you away. He wasn't Mac Jones and threw for these ridiculous amount of passing yards. He threw for twenty one hundred yards and twenty two touchdowns, six interceptions, which is good. But you know his stats is gonna blow you away. Of course, considering the fact that the Big Ten didn't start till uh, till uh, mid late October, that also has something to do with it too. And you know games were canceled left and right because of COVID and everything else. But you know. You know, you go ahead. Look at the teams that you know he pl- He was uh, twenty eight for thirty four against Penn State. Threw for four touchdowns, no interceptions. Had a ninety six point uh, seven QBR, which you know, which is faint, which is good. You'll take that. Go against number nine ranked Indiana, eighteen for thirty three hundred passing yards, sixty percent completion percentage. He also completed eighty two percent of his passes against eighteen ranked Penn State as well, and they're thirty five. 38-25 went against them on Halloween Day. Uh, against uh, IU, 18-30, 300 passing yards, 60 complete percentage, two touchdowns, three interceptions, which you don't love, you know, Indiana. You don't love it, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, and then the Big Ten Championship game against uh, against Northwestern, 12-for-27, uh, 144-2 through two interceptions. He did, he did. He was not under any circumstances good in the game under any circ. You know, at all. It's just the fact that it's just it's just the fact, and it's just no no denying that he was not that he was not good against Northwestern up to his standards. I believe he went. You know, he wasn't uh, he wasn't uh, fond of his performance after the game, if I remember correctly, when he got interviewed in the post game after that Big Ten championship game against Northwestern. But you know, but he he looked what he did and and bouncing back, taking care of business against Clemson, who essentially had already had the game ruled over and had already essentially declared themselves going to another uh, national championship game. Uh, you know, against Alabama, had already had the tickets and the plane flights and the accommodations ready for uh, South Beach. You know that thanks to Dabo Sweeney running his mouth, and then and then and then Ohio State collectively as a team, but more specifically, we're talking about Justin Fields. They came out there and punched Clemson right in the mouth. He was twenty twenty two for twenty eight, threw for three hundred eighty five passing yards, six touchdown passes, and one interception. Arguably, one of the one of if not his best and the best college uh, perform his best performance at Ohio State. Um, for uh, for Justin Fields, I mean, he had a seventy eight percent completion percentage, threw for three eighty five. You know, one like he won Jimmy Garoppolo throwing, you know, throwing the ball less than ten times, less than fifteen times, less than twenty times on Lamar Jackson. You know, eleven for fifteen. No, 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 no. Twenty two for twenty eight, three eighty five, six touchdown passes, and, and uh, had a completion percentage of seventy eight percent. Yeah, if 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 in a in a in a 
semi in a college football national championship semifinal game. In a semifinal game, bowl game, Sugar Bowl in the Superdome. Sugar Bowl semifinal game to go to the national championship against Big Bad Clemson. He showed me something. Especially when he got, you know, when he got essentially rammed. He, I think he got, when he got rammed in the back, I think, either the back or his side, he got rammed uh, in the back or in the side, one of the two, by that, uh, by, that Clemson, by that Clemson linebacker trying to cheap shot him. And essentially came and essentially, I guarantee he was in, you know, he was in pain the rest of the game, but handled, but stuck it up and handled it like a trooper and uh, showed Clemson who's boss and destroyed him by double and destroyed him by double digits. That's a football player. Now, he ended up playing a national championship game, which he spit the bit. 17 for 33, 194 passing yards, 51% completion percentage, and a touchdown pass. But Alabama was the better team. So, again, not a great performance, in that, not good in a, in a national championship game, but he showed some guts, showed some grit. He showed some toughness against Clemson back in uh, on New Year's Day. Clemson essentially, you know, had themselves already in a national championship game before they even kicked the ball off against uh, Ohio State. And then that linebacker tried to cheap shot him, and uh, Justin Fields said, I'll show you, and I'll, and I'll uh, make old Huckleberry over there, Dabble Sweeney, you know, eat, eat crow and eat his own words and, and live with regret for the, rest of, you know, for the rest of the winter heading into the offseason and had the game of his life. Against number two Clemson in the Sugar Bowl, he has shown me that. He has shown me that Lance Wilson have not, have not, have not. And I and 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 I and I I think me personally, this is just me talking. Then I'll get to the Dodgers, and then me to go off on the whole transit. Uh, tangent about this. I wanted to get to the Dodgers, you know, dedicate this segment to Dodger baseball. But last thing I'll say about this, then I'm finished. I think this is just me talking, and I'll go into depth with this with Brendan on our draft special. But I think, I think, Bill Belichick is going to. Uh, I I I I think Fields is going to be there for uh, for Belichick to take. I, I don't I don't think he's taking Ian Book. I don't think that he's taken. I don't think he's taking Mac Jones. Mac Jones with all those weapons around him, you know, I could put up the stats that Mac Jones put up, you know, with uh, you know, with with the, all those weapons around me, and one of the and one of the best defenses on college football on, on the other side of the football with the great coach and Nick Saban as well. You know, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, college football. Uh, coaches of all time, but I, 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 and I got a suspicion, especially after they had brought Cam around. To, they brought Cam around to stick around for another year. I, th- I, 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 I got, I got a feeling that Belichick might, might get Fields. Got a feeling. I, I think Fields will be there for the taking for Belichick. I think Belichick will have Fields sit a year, learn from, uh, learn from someone that probably Fields grew up admiring and wanting to be as a kid as, you know, in Cam Newton, 
have uh, have uh, Justin Fields, have uh, Cam Newton take Fields under his wing. If Fields is ready to go week one, if you know if they fight out for the starting job and Fields doesn't get it, he sits, learns from Cam, and then when the time is ready, have Fields uh, and have Fields be the QB of the Patriots. I I I think Justin Fields is going to be the New England Patriot myself. I think everyone's making you know a big stink with the epilepsy stuff, and he goes to Ohio State, and Ohio State quarterbacks aren't you know aren't uh you know aren't you know this that and the other. But Belichick Belichick has a knack for finding that diamond in the rough. He 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 found he found the ultimate diamond in the rough in Tom Brady in the sixth round. So, I I I I I I think Belichick. I, I, you know, he hasn't drafted wide receivers well, but, but Belichick or and that's you know unnecessarily drafted. But I mean, hell, he he did find Gronk and he did find Brady. I got a feeling that he might be that uh, that uh, come come uh, tomorrow night, Justin Fields will get a call from uh, BB asking him, you know, if he wants to be a New England Patriot. I got that feeling. Just me talking, just my intuition. But I think Justin Fields, who I think is better than than uh, than Zach Wilson by a mile. I don't, I don't, I don't care the stat sheet says. Intangibles. 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 Grit. Guts. Courage. Whatever you want to call it. Fields showed that. Now, dropped the later egg in a championship game. But at that point in time in his collegiate career, at that point in time on New Year's Day is big. At that point in time, the biggest college game he's ever played in. One of the biggest. He showed up. I didn't showed up. Then he didn't just show up. Played his ass off. Played his ass off. I don't care what Zach Wilson does with some dopey pro day, you know, in in, in shorts and a t-shirt in front of the media, or what or what he does against uh, Louisiana Tech. Not interested. Or Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. Who cares? Give me... Outside of Lawrence. When it comes to QBs, give me Fields. Let's go. Switching gears to the Dodgers. Who have uh, hit... Who have uh, hit the wall. uh, Who have hit the wall recently. You know, they... They uh, they lost they, they lost their weekend series three games to one against the Padres an absolutely phenomenal series um, from start to finish they lost game one three two lost uh, lost the uh, Friday that Friday night six to one where they couldn't hit uh, Saturday they won five to four and then eight and then on Sunday night um, when they ha- I believe they ha- and they you know when they ha- were up seven to one heading into uh, Heading into the, uh, I believe it was heading into the ninth inning. He had the seven to one lead. Um, when in which McCollum, I'll get to see if I can. I'll get the play here for you in a minute. Here in the bottom, what inning was that? In the bottom of the sixth inning, when uh, Chris Taylor hit a three, hit a, a three run home run uh, to make it to make it seven one uh, Los Angeles. And the Dodgers absolutely urinated all over themselves with you know in the set in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. Uh, I mean you know uh, Caraciani, whatever his name is, 
had a single into left field. Nick Cronensworth and Hosmer scored, and Hosmer scored to make it seven three. Los Angeles also the Dodgers had an error in that inning as well. Uh, two runs, three hits, and an error in that top of the seventh inning. Hosmer single singled to right and scored Machado. Or excuse me, scored Tatis to make it seven four at Los Angeles. And then on a uh, fielder's choice. Machado scored to make it a two run to cut it to uh, cut uh, the Dodgers lead to two runs. They go to the top of the ninth inning. Grisham hits a hits a single to left field against this. Uh, you know, hits a single to left field that barely and I mean barely falls in there. You know that old phrase of blooping a blast. Well, the bloop came and it was with Grisham, which got it started in the ninth inning. Uh, with which uh, well not Grisham but um but uh which uh, Sar- Sar- Samiani whatever his name is the stupid the, uh, the stupid player's name he's the one that got the single to got to get things started Grisham single ended up getting him home Tatis advanced to uh, advanced to third base. Machado singles up the middle to center field. Tatis comes around to score. The tie the game at seven apiece. The Dodgers fail to capitalize with runners on base, uh, with runners in scoring position in the in the uh, in the ninth and in the tenth. Was it the ninth? I think it was. I think it was the uh, the ninth. And let me go back and check. Um, fails to they. I know they had runners on base. Um, let's see here in the ten, in the ninth inning, uh, not the ninth inning. I apologize. The bottom of the bottom of the tenth inning, where they had where they had the uh, where they had uh, you know, bottom of the tenth inning is when they had runners in the scoring position. They failed. They failed in the bottom of the tenth to score to to get anybody home in the uh, in the bottom of the in the bottom of the tenth. They had a, they had Muncie and Taylor intentionally walk, and they had the runner on second base to load up the bases, and they couldn't get anyone home in the top of the tenth. Kershaw strikes out, swing coming off the bench, and then Peters strikes out right after him, and the Dodgers with the bases loaded couldn't get anything done against the Padres on sun on you know on late on Sunday night game that started at seven o'clock Eastern time and didn't finish until uh until a little after midnight on the east coast that's a four o'clock west coast game game didn't end until a little after nine o'clock at night and then coming up in the top of the tenth uh grisham walks runners on first and first and second runners on first and second they pull a double steal so grisham steals second and uh tatis the lead runner scores you know steals third machado pops out pops up to Pops out the third. That's out number one, and then Heisman hits a sacrifice fly to center field to score Tatis to make it eight to make it eight seven, and then that's how the Padres ended up beating the Dodgers on uh, beating the Dodgers on on uh, on Sunday night, uh, and lo- and losing the series uh, and losing the series three games to one after being up seven to one courtesy of that Taylor home run, which you would have thought would have put the little icing on the cake for the Dodgers and would have essentially had them split the series 2-2 apiece against San Diego. They blow a six-run lead, one of the worst losses, that one of the worst regular season losses I've seen from the Dodgers in quite a long time. Certainly one of their worst losses since uh, Game 4 in the World Series with uh, with the whole thing with Brett Phillips and Randy Arozarena against uh, Tampa in the World Series back in October. Definitely one of their worst regular season losses a worst regular season uh, game, regular season game choke jobs in quite a long time. Up seven to one uh, through six innings, and they choke a six-run lead and allow the Padres to to score uh, 
to score uh, seven unanswered runs and end up winning the game eight seven in in eleven innings. And then since and then since that they've absolutely hit the wall losing to, losing two straight. They allowed Jansen gives up a home Jansen gives up a home run to Winkler in the tenth inning. And, and Jansen, who isn't exactly uh, Mariano Rivera coming out of the bullpen, uh-uh, he uh, fouls up and gives up an absolute cookie to win, to Wink to Winker the uh, the player from since from Cincinnati as they and they lost that Jesse Winkler two run home run hitting the hitting the tenth inning. Uh, given up by given up by Jance with nobody out um, over the left over the left field fence, which gave the Reds the five to three win on Monday night, and then on Tuesday night last night, you would think, well, the Dodgers haven't lost you know three straight you know you know last whatever it might be. There's no way they're losing tonight. Well, think again. They lose six. They lose six. They lose six five. Votto and Winkler and Winkler uh, get him get him again. Joey Votto hit the hit a go ahead double uh, and hit a go ahead double and then followed by Jesse Winkler. Uh, Jesse Winkler hitting a home run right behind them. They rallied late late in the ball game on Tuesday night to beat the Dodgers for a second straight night six six five. They have dropped six of the last eight. The Dodgers have. Um, and, th- and, and including this uh, three games in a row, a losing streak, losing, of course, Sunday to the Padres in these first two in the race. That's the first time the Dodgers have lost three games in a row since 2019. So they were flying all high and mighty, and all of a sudden they've lost six of the last eight, and they got the guess who? San Francisco Giants right behind them and right on their tail. Uh, as far as the National League West uh, division is concerned, um, if you go ahead and you look, at who started? At who started for uh, who started for Los Angeles last night? Um, you had Walker Bueller who went six in the third, gave up seven hits, five runs, a walk, struck out ten, and then of course Alexander and then Alexander comes in out of the bullpen, pitches an inning, gives up two hits, a run, gives up a run, and ends up getting stuck with the and ends up getting stuck with the loss, and then Nelson comes and then. Uh, and then Nelson comes in, you know, in the last inning of work and gives up a hit as well. Their bullpen has been, uh, ha- their bullpen has not been anything to write home about as far as the Dodgers are concerned. Uh, whether it's whether it's blowing that six-run lead in the late innings, uh, in the late innings on uh, Sunday night, Jansen giving up the two-run, ho- giving up the two-run home run to Jesse Winker. Uh, you know, in the tenth on Monday, and of course their bullpen spitting a bit in the in the in the seventh inning and on, um, uh, on Tuesday night against uh, allowing uh, Votto and Winker to go crazy again against Cincinnati on Tuesday in Chavez Ravine. The Dodgers are in a are, you know in a little bit of a bind right now. Um, again, losers of their, of six out of the last eight three game losing streak. Um, have not played excellent baseball under any circumstances. They have not been able to drive in runners in scoring position when they had the chance. Their starting pitching has been very good, but what good is your starting pitching if the back end of your bullpen lets you down night after night after night? Uh, and if you want to, if you want to dissect the Dodgers and look and see if you can try and find their quote-unquote Achilles heel and their flaw, it's their back end of the bullpen. 
because you know the three three straight losses are at are at the hands are the fact that their bullpen with the lead can't figure out a way to shut their opponents down in the latter innings of the ball game and have their and have their uh, you know their fifteen thousand or so fans attending the game at Dodger Stadium go home happy. The Dodgers the Dodgers starting pitching has been has been good and has set and their and their offense in the earlier part of the games have given the Dodger bullpen many of opportunities and have set up the Dodger bullpen in positions to succeed. All you gotta do is just hold on to a lead and somehow Soweto can't do it. Blowing blowing leads to Sandy, blowing leads to the Padres and the Reds back to back nights. In three straight games as the Dodgers have lost three in a row and are now fifteen and nineteen and only two games above five hundred being seven and five at Dodger Stadium so far in this young season. So the so the Dodgers so in case you haven't realized it, you know, may and it may be and it might not be like this, you know, for the entirety of the season, but as of right now, the twenty twenty one season for the Dodgers as of right now doesn't appear to be a as as much of a cakewalk as everyone uh, you know expected them to be. Or or expected it to be, you know. Bets when you know bets going over for bets going over four on Tuesday night didn't get a big hit. That you know had opportunities against San Diego on Sunday night couldn't cash in. I think went like one for six or one for seven in the game against San Diego on Sunday night. Uh, you know Corey Seager couldn't hit a lick his way out of a paper bag. Um, you go ahead, you know, uh, you know, go ahead and you, and you go down the line. Max Muncie didn't do anything last night either. So, you know, the Dodgers bats, you know, they've, they've produced, you know, scored five runs. They scored five runs last night, scored seven against San Diego on Sunday, um, and scored, and scored, uh, and scored a, and scored a little three, three runs on, uh, on a Monday night. So the offense so their offense um, at inopportune times has gone silent and has not been able to cash in with runners in scoring position when they needed to. And the back end of the bullpen has let them down. Jansen is not the answer. And, and, they, and, they, need, and they straight up and down need some help in the back end of their bullpen. Cause you know when you go when you when you got seven when you got lead seven to one and you're up by and you're up by a decent margin which you'd think would be a decent margin against the Cincinnati Reds now and you're blowing leads left and right at home no less in the later innings of baseball games that's not a recipe and that's not a formula for World Series repeating championship baseball I'm sorry it it isn't and I think I think everyone and their mother knows that you can't trust Jansen. That you, that that you can't that you can't trust Jansen in the big spot. Not 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 at this point in his career. You you can't trust him, and it, and he's and he's not the answer as far as being the Dodgers' long term closer. You know when they want to go out there and compete and win championships for the you know for twenty twenty one and beyond. But the Dodgers have hit have hit a wall right now, and uh, they're showing the first little signs of adversity. You know, in in the la- you know, for once in the last two years, as far as in, in the regular season is concerned, they you know, the World Series champions are starting uh, to uh, feel the wrath of their opponents. San Diego losing losing the series to San Diego, which is kind, which which who has proven that they can hang with the Dodgers and compete. Tatis Machado can pitch a little bit. 
They've proven that after this past weekend series. And then, of course, the Reds, you know, who are getting the Dodgers after they've been essentially tuckered out of having having the after having to essentially uh, uh, fight tooth and nail and, and all the adrenaline, all the energy and the testosterone that's been involved with that four-game weekend series with the Padres, the Reds come into town and get the Dodgers, you know, no off days who have been on probably, if you ask them, a little bit tuckered out considering all the energy and emotion that's gone into the fact they've that they had to play back-to-back, uh, back-to-back, um, Extra inning games, Sunday Sunday's game being a game that lasted five hours long, and it being a four-game series lasting from Thursday to Sunday. So, and, and you'd expect this because everyone in America has the Dodgers going back to the World Series. You'd think that, that, that there would be some teams in the National League saying, hey, this team, whether they realize it or not, they got a target on their back. They think they can essentially... You know, maybe their championship may be legitimate from last year, but this ain't but this ain't no sixty game sprint from you know late from mid late July all the way through October. It's it's the full six months, one eighty two, baby. You know, we whether y'all want to recognize or not, y'all got a target on your back, and and if you and if you want to make it back to the World Series again and win the World Series again, you're gonna have to go through us. Throughout an entire six-month whole 182 to get there, and I and I think that's what the Dodgers are starting to realize that you know, especially when they come out of these uh, these uh, World Series esque series with with the uh, with the Padres, that their opponents, especially when they come to Dodger Stadium, they're going to fight tooth and nail and show no mercy when they play the Dodgers, and you know, and when. You know they're down by three, by two, three, four, or in the Padres' case, six runs. They aren't just going to lie down and die. They're going to come back and, and 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 scratch and claw to get back into the get back into those baseball games and end up when the twenty and and man make sure when the twenty seventh out is recorded, they're on the other side uh, with a W and not a loss. But that's your state on the. 2021 Dodgers at this point in the season uh, currently riding a three-game losing streak. Take a break. Give you my two cents on this Madison Bumgarner situation. This is the Amatella Catelius Podcast with Josh Shields. the Until I Can Tell You is podcast. Close out the show with an element that, uh, with a development that became uh, news within the sports world and then baseball uh, late on Sunday, heading into Monday, was that uh, was that uh, Arizona 
Diamondbacks pitch starting pitcher Madison Bumgarner had a complete game uh, shutout and allowed zero hits against the Atlanta Braves in game two of their doubleheader on Sunday afternoon. And it was a seven-inning game. You know, that the doubleheader headers, at least for this year, are which I can't stand, but that's another topic and another discussion for another time. The doubleheaders are are seven innings apiece. The doubleheaders are the two games within the doubleheader are are seven are seven innings. It's not, you know, short because you know it's it you, going into the game you know it's, a, it's the game's going to go go seven innings long, so. Uh, so he it's a complete game shutout. They beat the uh, they beat the Braves pretty handedly in the game, and he allowed no hits. And there's discussion, the controversy whether or not you know should he get the credit in the history books as far as a no hitter is concerned. And Major League Baseball went over it with the Elias Sports Bureau because in 1991. A rule that's thirty years out of date, or or thirty years past the expiration date, thirty years outdated, Mad Dog, that a no hitter is no shorter than nine innings long of baseball. The part where that rule needs to be changed and updated is because we live in a time where a seven inning game. That isn't shortened due to rain or any weather or anything like that. A seven-inning game where heading into the game, you plan to play the seven innings in the double as a part of the doubleheader where the full seven innings that are played from start to finish counts as a quote-unquote complete game like a nine-inning double, like a, nine in, like a regular nine-inning game would. So if... Heading into that game, you know that at the minimum you're playing seven innings unless the game is tied in which you have quote-unquote extra innings where you play the eighth and ninth inning. It's a it's 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 the same as a nine-inning regulated game with no weather interruptions. The seven the full quote-unquote full seven-inning games that are part of the doubleheader now. So the rule is outdated and it needs to be updated for one. It has that in place where if a guy has a no-hitter through four and two-thirds or five and two-thirds or through six innings or through seven innings and you plan to play nine, yet you don't because of weather, it cuts the game short. So you suspend the rest of the game and, you know, X whatever team is leading at the time of the game gets called to a rain delay because of rain they win the game. It's not like that at all under any circumstances. It's a seven inning game is a seven inning game. It's just shortened due to weather. They play the full seven innings because it's within the league system. It's in within the league rule book as part of the seven inning doubleheader ordeal. So if Madison Bumgarner completes the the quote-unquote full seven innings, that's a part of the doubleheader, that when it's a doubleheader, seven innings is a complete game, and he pitches that all and he pitches it all the way through and gives up no hits. It's a no-hitter, no questions asked. It's a no-hitter. Complete game, which the seven inning and the seven inning doubleheader is a complete game. 
and he gave up no hits. Put two and two together, that's a no hitter. He didn't he didn't go seven innings out of a nine inning game, give up no hits, and because it was a rain delay and rain came through Cobb County, the game got shut cut short. No, 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 no. It is a seven inning quote unquote complete game. As it should be ruled and as it should be called. Period. End of story. All this talk, well, well, X no hitter in this year when he pitched, you know, seven no hitter, seven perfect innings, and his no hitter, which McComb didn't count. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Those are in situations where they plan to play nine and they can't play nine innings, nine full innings because of X amount, because of blank circumstance. Going into that game, you're planning on playing seven innings at the minimum to decide a winner. Now, if you want to get on and make the argument that this seven-inning doubleheader nonsense is a is a load of garbage, which I am all for in in, in making that and all for in making that argument, have at it. But if the hit, but in the I forget the uh, I could pull it up if you want me to, but I, I game in game one starter of that game for Arizona, his. His his quote on I mean one a one hitter isn't you know it isn't a thing, but his one hitter counts in the uh, his one hitter counts in the uh, in the quote unquote uh, you know in this in the stat sheet his one hitter counts. Let's see if I can pull up his name here because I want to get this right. Um, Zach Galen gave up one hit. It counts. The the uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, their position players, their stats, their numbers that they put up in that game, it counts as much as if they played a, a regular nine inning game. It counts. So if the position player stats count, if Galen's one hit seven inning shutout counts as a as a shutout and as a one hitter, and if walk off home runs that have been hit. In the last two seasons, last season and this season, if the walk-off hits and the walk-off home runs count as walk-off game-winning hits in a seven-inning doubleheader scenario, and if shutouts are shutouts with Galen and Madbum in the seven-inning game, why doesn't Madbum's no-hitter count? Why? We acknowledge the fact that he pitched complete game shutout, but we don't acknowledge the fact that it was a no hitter because it, because it wasn't nine innings. The game wasn't nine innings. Yet we knew going in that they weren't going to play nine innings unless the game was tied and they had to go into quote unquote extra innings. Which in a seven inning game, the eighth and ninth count as quote unquote extra inning baseball games. So if we can acknowledge the fact that he pitched complete game shutout. We'll acknowledge that, but we won't acknowledge the fact that it was a no-hitter. Instead, we'll call it a, uh, a, uh, a notable achievement. Really? Really? You're, you're contradicting yourself, and you're making no sense. And, 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 and all, I swear, only baseball could do this to themselves. 
Will, will acknowledge the fact that he pitched a complete game shutout and will acknowledge the fact that Galen pitched a one-hitter in game one against Atlanta, but we won't acknowledge the fact that Mad Bum pitched a no-hitter. Really? Again, one shortened due to rain, hail, thunderstorms, snow, tornado, hurricane, none of that. Going into that game, when the players and the managers and the coaches and the broadcasting crews and the umpires woke up this mor- woke up Sunday morning and were headed from wherever they wherever they coming from to make their game day commute to the stadium. They knew that during their commute and when they woke up that morning on Sunday, heading to in route to Truist Park in Atlanta, they knew that they were going to play Two seven-inning baseball games. Not two nine-inning baseball games or one nine-inning baseball game that went the whole nine innings and the second one that got cut short because a thunderstorm rolled through. No, 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 no. They knew heading in that they were playing the full, in this case, in this case in point, in this scenario, the regulated, the MLB regulated and regulation seven-inning two games as part of a doubleheader. They knew that. And in this particular scenario, seven innings from start to finish, uninterrupted, no weather, no nothing, counts as a complete MLB regulated or MLB regulation game. The same would a regular nine-inning game that isn't a part of a doubleheader. And we'll count the fact that he threw a shutout. We'll count the fact that Galen threw a one-hitter in the first game. All the all the all the stats from the position players when they come up to bat and hit, all those count. Players from the uh, you know the uh, the 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 the, uh, the stats from the members of the Braves bullpen that pitched in the two games, their numbers count. But Mad Bum's no hitter doesn't, because because of some outdated, outdated, cringy rule. From 1991, saying, "Well, if it is, if they didn't go nine innings, it's not a doubleheader." Well, and 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 that's my man Russo's argument. Well, it's not a no hitter because in 1991, Faye Vincent, who isn't even a commissioner anymore, made a rule that it's not a no hitter unless it goes nine innings. They 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 didn't have seven inning doubleheaders back then in 1991. Seven innings wasn't wasn't considered a quote unquote complete regulated game from start to finish, no interruptions back thirty years ago. Thirty years later, the rules outdated. In twenty twenty one, you play a game, you play a game from first inning to the seventh, uninterrupted, no rain, no nothing, in a double header scenario, in a double header format where you play one game and then forty five minutes later you play another one, two games in one day. That counts as an MLB regula- uh, uh, by MLB regulation. That counts as a complete game, the same as your regular one game in one day nine inning MLB game does. They didn't have seven inning doubleheaders back in 1991. The rules outdated. And again, if you want to make the argument that that it's stupid that that we have seven inning doubleheaders in the first place, because are grown men. 
paid professionals, and why can't we have the regular nine-inning doubleheaders like we like we did prior to 2020? I'll buy that, and I will fully support you in that argument with that. The whole seven-inning doubleheaders and the run on second base and the top of the tenth inning is, is dumb and it's asinine. I get that, and I'm in full-fledged support of that. But whether and whether or not Matt Bum feels like he throws a no-hitter, that's that's another topic for another day. When it comes to the record books and the stat sheet, that should go in the books as a no-hitter. From start to finish, inning one through seven, complete game, shutout, no-hitter. End of story. I could give a crap about some outdated rule from 30 years ago. I'm not interested. That rule is expired, and that rule does not... And that rule is not um, set with set with the times of current 2021 Major League Baseball. The rule is 30 years. It's 30 years past its past its uh, its its date of being uh, enforced. The rule's 30 years old. That's like that's like in the 19th. 20s or 30s or 40s you know some state is still is still uh is still uh enforcing a law that applied back when the United States traveled via horseback instead of instead of automobile the rules outdated the rules outdated Mad Bums, no hitter should count. I don't care what anybody else says. The rules outdated. Uninterrupted game. One like the game again one more time. It was like the game got cut short the rain or anything like that. It should count as a complete game and a no hitter for Madison Baumgartner. Period. No questions asked. End of story. And only baseball could get in their own little way of what was supposed to be a a, a element of of history. An element of of achievement involved for one of their players in their league, and instead we're debating this stupid argument whether or not Madison Bumgarner's no hitter in a, in, a, in a in game two of a seven inning double header should count or not. It's just dumb, really, really, really is dumb and stupid to be quite honest with you. But that's your show. And that's another edition of the I'm Telekitelius podcast. Let me know, am I right or wrong when it comes to this Mad Bum controversy? Let me know on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow at the J Shield, in case you didn't hear me. Uh, follow the show on Twitter at I'm a Telet underscore it T-I-S, And the show on Instagram at I'm a Telet, um, at I'm a Telet underscore podcast. The draft preview show is coming at you Thursday morning with Brendan. It's your boy Josh Shields. Y'all take care. See ya.